Chapter Twenty Four, Part B of the Monastery by Walter Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Four, Part B. Christie advanced to his master and gave an account of himself and his journey in the way in which a police officer holds communication with his magistrate, that is, as much by signs as by words. Noble sir, said the worthy satellite, the laird of he named no place, but pointed with his finger in a southwestern direction, may not ride with you the day he purposed, because the Lord Warden has threatened that he will— Here another blank, intelligibly enough made up by the speaker touching his own neck with his left forefinger, and leaning his head a little to one side. "'Cowardly caitiff,' said Julian, "'by heaven! The whole world turns sheer naught.' It is not worth a brave man's living in. Ye may ride a day and night, and never see a feather wave, or hear a horse prance. The spirit of our fathers is dead amongst us. The very brutes are degenerated. The cattle we bring at our life's risk are mere carrion. Our hawks are riflers. Footnote. So called when they only caught their prey by the feathers. End footnote. Our hounds are turnspits and trindle-tails. Our men are women, and our women are— he looked at the female for the first time, and stopped short in the midst of what he was about to say, though there was something so contemptuous in the glance that the blank might have been thus filled up. "'Our women are such as she is.' He said it not, however, and as if desirous of attracting his attention, at all risks, and in whatever manner, she rose and came forward to him, but with a timorousness ill-disguised by affected gaiety. "'Our women, Julian, what would you say of the women?' "'Nothing,' answered Julian Avenel, "'at least nothing but that they are kind-hearted wenches like thyself, Kate.' The female coloured deeply, and returned to her seat. "'And what strangers hast thou brought with thee, Christie, that stand yonder like two stone statues?' said the baron. "'The taller,' answered Christie, "'is, so please you, a young fellow called Halbert Glendinning, the eldest son of the old widow at Glendirk. "'What brings him here?' said the baron. "'Hath he any message for Mary Avenel?' "'Not as I think,' said Christie. "'The youth is roving the country. He was always a wild slip, for I have known him since he was the height of my sword.' "'What qualities hath he?' said the baron. "'All manner of qualities,' answered his follower. "'He can strike a buck, track a deer, fly a hawk, hello to a hound. He shoots in the long and crossbow to a hair's breadth, wields a lance or sword like myself nearly backs a horse manfully and fairly, I wot not what more a man need to do to make him a gallant companion. And who, said the baron, is the old miser? Footnote. Miser used in the sense in which it often occurs in Spencer, and which is indeed its literal import, wretched old man. End footnote. Who stands beside him? Some cast of a priest, as I fancy, he says he is charged with letters to you. "'Bid them come forward,' said the baron, and no sooner had they approached him more nearly than, struck by the fine form and strength displayed by Halbert Glendinning, he addressed him thus. "'I am told, young Swanky, that you are roaming the world to seek your fortune. If you will serve Julian Avenel, you may find it without going farther.' "'So please you,' answered Glendinning, "'something has chanced to me that makes it better I should leave this land, and I am bound for Edinburgh.' "'What?' Thou hast stricken some of the king's deer, I warrant, or lightened the meadows of St. Mary's of some of their beeves, or thou hast taken a moonlight leap over the border. No, sir, said Halbert, my case is entirely different. 
"'Then I warrant thee,' said the baron, "'thou hast stabbed some brother churl in a fray about a wench. Thou art a likely lad to wrangle in such a cause.' Ineffably disgusted at his tone and manner, Halbert Glendinning remained silent, while the thought darted across his mind what would Julian Avenel have said, had he known the quarrel of which he spoke so lightly, had arisen on account of his own brother's daughter. "'But be thy cause of flight what it will,' said Julian, in continuation, "'dost thou think the law or its emissaries can follow thee into this island, or arrest thee under the standard of Avenel? Look at the depth of the lake, the strength of the walls, the length of the causeway. Look at my men.' and think if they are likely to see a comrade injured, or if I, their master, am a man to desert a faithful follower, in good or evil. I tell thee it shall be an eternal day of truce betwixt thee and justice, as they call it, from the instant thou hast put my colours into thy cap. Thou shalt ride by the warden's nose, as thou wouldst pass an old market-woman, and ne'er a cur which follows him shall dare to bay at thee. I thank you for your offers, noble sir, replied Halbert but I must answer in brief that I cannot profit by them. My fortunes lead me elsewhere." "'Thou art a self-willed fool for thy pains,' said Julian, turning from him, and signing Christie to approach, he whispered in his ear, "'There is promise in that young fellow's looks, Christie, and we want men of limbs and sinews so compacted. Those thou hast brought to me of late are the mere refuse of mankind, wretches scarce worth the arrow that ends them. This youngster is limbed like St. George. Ply him with wine and wassail. Let the wenches weave their meshes about him like spiders. Thou understandest? Christie gave a sagacious nod of intelligence, and fell back to a respectful distance from his master. And thou, old man, said the baron, turning to the elder traveller, hast thou been roaming the world after fortune, too? It seems not she has fallen into thy way. So please you, replied Warden. I were perhaps more to be pitied than I am now, had I indeed met with that fortune, which, like others, I have sought in my greener days." "'Nay, understand me, friend,' said the baron. "'If thou art satisfied with thy buckram gown and long staff, I also am well content thou shouldst be as poor and contemptible as is good for the health of thy body and soul. All I care to know of thee is the cause which hath brought thee to my castle, where few crows of thy kind care to settle. Thou art, I warrant thee, some ejected monk of a suppressed convent, paying in his old days the price of the luxurious idleness in which he spent his youth. Aye, or it may be some pilgrim with a budget of lies from St. James of Compostella, or Our Lady of Loretto. Or thou mayest be some pardoner with his budget of relics from Rome, forgiving sins at a penny a dozen, and one to the tale. Aye, I guess why I find thee in this boy's company, and doubtless thou wouldst have such a strapping lad as he to carry thy wallet, and relieve thy lazy shoulders. But by the mass I will cross thy cunning. I make my vow to sun and moon, I will not see a proper lad so misled as to run the country with an old knave like Simmy and his brother. Footnote. Two questionary, or begging friars, whose accoutrements and roguery make the subject of an old Scottish satirical poem. End footnote. Away with thee, he added, rising in wrath, and speaking so fast as to give no opportunity of answer, being probably determined to terrify the elder guest into an abrupt flight. Away with thee, with thy clouted coat, scrip, and scallop-shell, or, by the name of Avenel, I will have them loose the hounds on thee. Warden waited with the greatest patience, until Julian Avenel, astonished that the threats and violence of his language made no impression on him, paused in a sort of wonder. 
and said in a less imperious tone, "'Why the fiend dost thou not answer me?' "'When you have done speaking,' said Warden, in the same composed manner, "'it will be full time to reply.' "'Say on, man, in the devil's name, but take heed. Beg not here. Were it but for the rinds of cheese, the refuse of the rats, who are a morsel that my dogs would turn from, neither a grain of meal nor the nineteenth part of a grey groat will I give to any feigned limmer of thy coat. It may be, answered Warden, that you would have less quarrel with my coat if you knew what it covers. I am neither a friar nor a mendicant, and would be right glad to hear thy testimony against these foul deceivers of God's church, and usurpers of his rights over the Christian flock, were it given in Christian charity. And who or what art thou then, said Avenel, that thou comest to this border-land, and art neither monk, nor soldier, nor broken man? I am an humble teacher of the holy word, answered Warden. This letter from a most noble person will speak why I am here at this present time. He delivered the letter to the baron, who regarded the seal with some surprise, and then looked on the letter itself, which seemed to excite still more. He then fixed his eyes on the stranger, and said in a menacing tone, I think thou darest not betray me, or deceive me?" "'I am not the man to attempt either,' was the concise reply. Julian Avenel carried the letter to the window, where he perused, or at least attempted to peruse it more than once, often looking from the paper and gazing on the stranger who had delivered it, as if he meant to read the purport of the missive in the face of the messenger. Julian at length called to the female, "'Catherine!' Bestir thee, and fetch me presently that letter which I bade thee keep ready at hand in my casket, having no sure lockfast place of my own." Catherine went with the readiness of one willing to be employed, and as she walked the situation which requires a wider gown and a longer girdle, and in which woman claims from man a double portion of the most anxious care, was still more visible than before. She soon returned with the paper, and was rewarded with a cold, I thank thee, wench. Thou art a careful secretary." This second paper he also perused and reperused more than once, and still, as he read it, bent from time to time a wary and observant eye upon Henry Warden. This examination and re-examination, though both the man and the place were dangerous, the preacher endured with the most composed and steady countenance, seeming under the eagle, or rather the vulture eye of the baron, as unmoved as under the gaze of an ordinary and peaceful peasant. At length Julian Avenel folded both papers, and having put them into the pocket of his cloak, cleared his brow, and coming forward addressed his female companion. "'Catherine,' said he, "'I have done this good man injustice, when I mistook him for one of the drones of Rome. He is a preacher, Catherine, a preacher of the, the new doctrine of the lords of the congregation.' "'The doctrine of the blessed scriptures,' said the preacher, purified from the devices of men. "'Sayest thou?' said Julian Avenel. "'Well, thou mayest call it what thou lists. But to me it is recommended, because it flings off all those sottish dreams about saints and angels and devils, and unhorses lazy monks that have ridden us so long, and spurgalled us so hard. No more masses and corpse-gifts, no more tithes and offerings to make men poor, no more prayers or psalms to make men cowards, no more christenings and penances and confessions and marriages.' "'So please you,' said Henry Warden, "'it is against the corruptions, not against the fundamental doctrines of the Church, which we desire to renovate and not to abolish.' 
"'Prithee, peace, man,' said the baron. "'We of the laity care not what you set up, so you pull merrily down what stands in our way. Specially it suits well with us of the Southland fells, for it is our profession to turn the world upside down, and we live ever the blithest life when the downer side is uppermost.' Warden would have replied, but the baron allowed him not time, striking the table with the hilt of his dagger, and crying out, "'Ha! You loitering knaves, bring our supper-meal quickly! See you not this holy man is exhausted for lack of food? Heard ye ever of priest or preacher that devoured not his five meals a day?' The attendants bustled to and fro, and speedily brought in several large smoking platters filled with huge pieces of beef, boiled and roasted, but without any variety whatsoever without vegetables, and almost without bread, though there was at the upper end a few oat-cakes in a basket. Julian Avenel made a sort of apology to Warden. "'You have been commended to our care, Sir Preacher, since that is your style, by a person whom we highly honour.' "'I am assured,' said Warden, "'that the most noble lord—' "'Prithee, peace, man,' said Avenel. "'What need of naming names, so we understand each other? I meant but to speak in reference to your safety and comfort.' of which he desires us to be chary. Now for your safety, look at my walls and water. But touching your comfort, we have no corn of our own, and the meal-girnels of the South are less easily transported than their beeves, seeing they have no legs to walk upon. But what, though? A stoop of wine thou shalt have, and of the best. Thou shalt sit betwixt Catherine and me at the board end, and, Christie, do thou look to the young Springled, and call to the cellarer for a flagon of the best." The baron took his wonted place at the upper end of the board. His Catherine sate down, and courteously pointed to a seat betwixt them for their reverend guest. But notwithstanding the influence both of hunger and fatigue, Henry Warden retained his standing posture. End of chapter 24 Part B